Amen. How many of you have been impacted by BCM over your life? You know, in college, you've got kids. Little, yeah, yeah, good, good, good. Significant ministry. I mean, we have kids that come, and then we have from all over the world. That some places we can never reach, but we can reach them when they're on campus. And so thank you, brother, for your ministry. Take your Bible and open it to uh, Luke chapter 15. We're continuing the series called Change. Uh, we would all agree, I think, that none of us have arrived yet. Right? Pretty well? Okay. That there's room for improvement in all of our lives. The question really isn't, are you going to change? I mean, let's face it, we're all changing. Some are changing for the worse, and others are changing for the better. And that's the question. It's not, are you going to change? You're going to change, whether you want to or not. The question is, are you going to change for the better, or are you going to get worse? And so our theme verse for this uh, series is actually Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. We talked about that last weekend, where Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as, as you have always obeyed, now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Positive change is a partnership between God and you. God supplies the power. He supplies the power to get started, the want to, and he supplies the power to keep going, the will to and the ability to. And we supply the choice. We choose to believe. We choose to obey. And over this series, we're going to look at seven different areas that God wants to work change in our life. We're going to look at areas like our relationships, our physical area, our bodies, our mental, uh, spiritual, emotional, financial, even vocational. And we're going to look at how God wants to partner with us to work some radical change in the way that we think, in the way that we feel, and the way that we act in these very important areas. Today, we're going to start with spiritual health. Because I'm of the conviction that if we don't get this one right, we'll not have the power we need to affect change in all the other areas that we're going to talk about. As a matter of fact, I believe this, the further away from God you are, the more trouble, the more problems you'll have in your life, the less power that you'll experience. But the closer you get to God... The more blessed, the more fruitful, the more powerful your life becomes. The more change is a positive thing, not a negative thing. We can look at Moses, the change that God wrought in his life. Gideon, who was so scared he was in a pit, and then God raised him up to be a great leader. Peter, who was a fisherman that had a problem with hoof and mouth disease, and yet God raised him up to be one of the greatest leaders in the church has ever known, and one of the greatest preachers. The Apostle Paul, who we studied about today in our, in our Bible study, who started out to be a radical op, op, uh, opponent, there's the word, opponent to the church. And yet God got a hold of him on the Damascus Road and transformed him into the greatest advocate, the greatest missionary that church history has ever known. And I believe you wouldn't be here today if you didn't want to get closer to God. Amen? The problem is, We all have a tendency to drift, don't we? The Bible says we have a tendency to go astray like sheep. It just kind of comes naturally. You don't have to teach a sheep how to wander. You don't have to teach us how to wander, how to drift. At times, no matter who we are, we can begin to feel like we're not quite as close to the Lord as we used to be. 
And if we're not as close to the Lord as we used to be, we, we sense a lack of power and of intimacy with God that we need in order to be who God wants us to be. But in his grace and in his goodness, God places a number of stories of men and women, parables that help us know how to turn back to God, how to get closer to God. And one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible is the story of the prodigal son in, in Luke 15, or I like to call it the story of the loving father, because it's really more about God and his grace toward us. But I want us to stand together, and I want us to read a few verses from this very familiar story for most of us, parable of prodigal son. Let me begin in verse 11, and I'll read down through a few verses. Jesus said, this is one of three stories that Jesus talked about finding lost things. He talks about the lost sheep and lost coin and the lost son. You, you get the impression that people that are away from God matter to God. That God's willing to do anything to get them back. And listen to what he says. And Jesus said, there's a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And the father divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17 is one of the great verses in the scripture. But when he came to himself, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off. This is a good verse, folks. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and hugged him and kissed him. And the son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupts and he calls to his servants and says, Quickly, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to party or celebrate or have a good time. It's always a good time when people get closer to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this wonderful story. Father, even though we might have heard it over our lives as, as believers dozens of times, it it's never gets old. And especially the part where it says, when the father saw him a long way off, had compassion, and the father ran to the son. God, what a wonderful picture there it is of you willing to come to us. And so, Father, I pray today that you would help each one of us see a need in our life. And if we've drifted away, if we've wandered away, if we've never even gotten close to you, help us, Father, today to know that there's a way home, there's a way back. And show us how we can get closer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Isn't that a great story? 
Isn't that a great story? It tells about how we can wander away from our loving Heavenly Father. And yet when we wander, but when we come back, God is willing to receive us. The son, the story says, demands his share of the inheritance and he wants it now. He wants it before his father's dead. Basically he's saying to his dad, dad, I wish you were dead. Dad, I can't wait till you die because I want what's coming to me and I want it right now. And so the father gives it to him. It's all about the son. It's all about him. And that's folks, by the way, how the drift starts when it begins to be all about us. And so he runs off with his newfound wealth to the New Testament version of Las Vegas. And he blows all his money on women and wine and song. And he finds himself penniless and friendless and homeless. He ends up finding a job slopping pigs, which is the worst job a Jew could ever have. He is so desperate and so hungry that pig slop starts looking good to him. Folks, that's a pretty bad place to be when pig slop starts looking good to you. Some of you guys are going to go to college. You're going to understand when you go to the cafeteria what that's all about. But anyway, <laughs> you'll want to go home and have some mama's good home cooking. Anyway, but then in verse 17, it says he comes to himself. He comes to his senses. He begins to say, what in the world am I doing here? My father's lowliest servants have more than enough. They eat better than this. And even though he knows he doesn't deserve anything from his father, he is so desperate and so fed up with where he is in his life, he decides to go home and offer himself to his father to work as a hired hand. And he goes home and instead of being received as a rebel or as a reprobate or being rejected, the father runs to him and hugs him. And pulls out the stops and throws the biggest party you can imagine. In this story, there are several things that Jesus teaches us about coming closer to God. One of the things that this story reminds us and teaches us, if we want to get closer to God, we first of all have to get fed up with our life as it is right now. We just get fed up with our circumstances, fed up with our life. We get sick and tired I'm being sick and tired. I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of being this distant from God. I'm I'm tired of being stressed and overworked and miserable. I don't like what I've become. Anybody ever felt that? Looked in the mirror one day and you're just, I just don't like what I've become. Listen to me, folks. Nothing will ever change in your life until you get fed up with the way you are right now. Make the decision. Some, there's got to be something better. You get desperate. You get desperate like the prodigal son. He had lost everything. He had nothing left. He was living and eating with the pigs. God finally got his attention. And maybe God is trying to get some of your attention. Maybe life's gotten a little rocky. Maybe a little stormy. The Bible says that when God wants to get our attention, he stands at the door and knocks in Revelation 3.20. We use that verse a lot in evangelism, but it doesn't really have to do with evangelism. It has to do with the church. Jesus is outside the door of the church knocking. That's a picture, isn't it? And Jesus is knocking to get our attention. He knocks on the door of our life. It's the knocks of dissatisfaction. The knocks of discouragement, of depression, of pain and misery. Like the prodigal son, it may be the knock of a loss. We might have lost a job or lost a scholarship or lost a marriage or lost a friend or maybe a dream has been shattered. 
And the first step back to God is to get fed up with where you are right now. Why is that so important? Because the Bible says that if we want to seek God, if we want to find him, we have to seek him with our whole heart. There's no casual seeking after God. There's no half-hearted searching, but it's an all-out search. The two parables before the prodigal son, the shepherd lost a sheep. He left 99 and he went out to search for one and it was all out. I mean, he went and he searched for him until he found him. And the woman lost, had 10 coins and she lost one and she tore her house apart. She swept it from one end to the other until she found that coin. The Bible says that if we want to find God, that it requires that kind of desperate search. Not just a casual, well, if I have time and don't have anything else better to do. But it's a wholehearted search. To come to the place in our life where we say there's got to be something more to life than this. There's got to be a better way to live. We get fed up. Then secondly, this this... Story reminds us that we also have to own up to our sin. First you get fed up and then you have to own up. And that's what the prodigal son did in verse 17. When he came to himself, he came to his senses. He finally realized that he had sinned against God and sinned against his father. He he finally says, this is crazy. This is nuts. It's crazy to try to live like this. Folks, listen to me. It's crazy to try to live your life without God. It's crazy to embrace sin thinking that's going to make your life better. The prodigal son realized that his sin had separated him from his father. This is what the Bible says, Isaiah 59 verse 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Have you ever felt like God is a thousand miles away? When you pray, has it ever felt like your prayers bounce off the ceiling? When you feel like God's away from you, you're no longer close to God, guess who moved? It's not you. God doesn't go on vacation. God never moves to a new location. Matter of fact, listen to me. You know why? Because God's love won't let him go anywhere. God in his love has promised to be with us. Our sins, the Bible says, have separated us from God. Our sins have moved us away from God. Something or someone has become more important to us than God. Self, prodigal son, it was all about him. Give me my inheritance now. God, Father, I don't care about you anymore. I don't care if you're living or dead. I just want what's mine and I want it now. Stuff becomes more important to us. Family even becomes more important to us. Our job, our looks, our popularity, a hobby, whatever we love more than God is an idol. American Idol had its final show last night, folks, but I want to tell you something. The real American Idol is still going on strong in this country. We place a lot of things before God. It comes before between us and God. And we have to own up to our sin, to our selfishness. Folks, we cannot blame anyone else for our separation from God. We can't say it's our spouse. If I just had a more godly spouse, I would be closer. We can't blame our parents. We can't blame the church. This is one thing you can't even blame the government for. No one but me. No one but you. By the way, do you know how blame is spelled? Be lame. One of the lamest things you can do is to blame someone else for your problems. It's lame to blame others for your spiritual 
health. If my church was just more exciting, if I just get fed more, if my friends were just more dedicated, if my husband was really more on fire, and you want to say, really? The fact is, I'm as close to God as I want to be. The reason I'm not closer is I just haven't got desperate enough. I just haven't got fed up enough. Because when you get fed up, you own up to your sin. And here's the good news. When we own up to our sin, God says to us, let us reason now together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Folks, listen to me. The blood of Jesus is the best stain remover I know. It puts OxyClean in the dust. There is no sin stain in your life that the blood of Christ cannot cleanse completely clean. This son had done horrible. He had basically wished his father dead. Had disrespected him and taken the inheritance, squandered it, done all kinds of horrible things. One of the most important habits that that we can practice if we want to get closer to God and, and, and not drift is what I call the habit of a regular spiritual checkup. Just like we need to go to the doctor a couple of times a year for a checkup. Lou and I just finally were able to go to doctors here recently and went to the dentist the other day. Wonderful dentist, wonderful guy. Hygienist was wonderful, but I hadn't been in two years. And so they basically have to have a jackhammer to get all the uh, plaque off my teeth. My teeth hurt for two days. I looked at Lou and I said, let's never do that again. <laughs> let's make sure we go to the dentist more often. But you go to the doctor to get a regular checkup. They can catch things early. And just like we need to go to the doctor or the dentist or the eye doctor, whoever, for regular checkups, we need to take a spiritual inventory regularly to see if sin has begun to take root in our life. As Barney Fife used to say, nip it in the bud. Before it gets going. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13.5. Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves. That Jesus Christ is in you. Unless you fail to meet the test. So how do you do that? Well I've included in your bulletin today. A bulletin today. A spiritual assessment guide. It's a list. And I've used something like this for years now. And I pulled this one off the web and added some things and, and took out some things. But it's a great little uh, tool to see areas in my life where I, I might need some attention. Areas where maybe sin has crept in. And it, it deals with a lot of different things. And it's some questions, honestly some questions that I probably wouldn't think of if, if I was just left to myself. I began to well, you know, I'm pretty good. And what we do, we want to compare ourselves with so-and-so. I'm better than so-and-so. Well, that's not the standard. The standard is God, his word, and his perfection. And so this is a, a follows a list of common sins that prevent God from blessing our life and using us. And, and so you read through this. And as you read through this, you might want to underline or circle one that they, God says, oh, that's an area. You know, like your relationship with others. Have you been holding a grudge against anyone? Have you been secretly unforgiving? Desiring revenge? Secretly jealous of someone? Harboring bitterness. You know, that's what Ananias and Sapphira did, by the way, in the text we read studying this morning Sunday school. They were jealous. They were bitter. And so it led them to 
lose their integrity and, and claim to give an offering bigger than what they gave. And you saw what God did to them. Do you avoid people you dislike but need your love? Are you critical? As you begin to read through these, I promise you, you say, God, show me in my life areas that we need to work on. Show me areas in my life where I fall short. Show me some areas, God, that uh, you need to apply your power to. And as you read through this, God's going to blow his finger. You may not be able to read through this all at one time. I typically get hung up before, and it takes me a, a while to do this. But I would encourage you to do this. As a matter of fact, I'd encourage you to do it on a regular basis. And you know one of the best times to do it on a regular basis is right before the Lord's Supper. And we try to let you know a week ahead of when we do the Lord's Supper. Because the Bible says in, in 1 Corinthians 11 that we're to examine ourselves. This is a great way to do that. We, we observe the Lord's Supper about four times a year, five, maybe six. And so the week before, that'd be a great time to do it. Or otherwise, you could do it maybe at the beginning, the middle of the year. But I would really encourage you. To establish a habit of a regular spiritual check. Now this is not for you to beat yourself up. This is for you to let God work in your life. So you can draw closer to him. So you can get fed up and you can own up. Okay. So that's for you. And I hope that you'll, you'll use that. Now, there's one more thing that this text tells us about. That we need to do. If we want to get closer to God. You got to get fed up. You got to get fed up with your life. And you know. Then you want to own up. To the reason you're fed up and that's usually because of me what i've done and then the last thing is we need to offer up ourselves verse 19 the son says i'm no longer worthy to be called your son treat me as one of your hired servants boy that's a change here's a kid that was demanding his own share to begging to be a servant from gimme 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 to make me make me make me that's a change. That's a change from self-centeredness to a God-centeredness. That's a change from selfishness to servanthood. That's what Paul wrote about in Romans 12 when he said, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We offer up ourselves as living sacrifices to God. We say, God, here's my life. Here it is, the good, the bad, the ugly. It is yours. You do with it whatever you want to be. Instead of gimme, 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 God, make me your servant. Make me clean. Make me whatever you want me to be. Instead of being conformed to this world, we allow God to begin to transform us through his power in our mind. And by the way, this transformation is an ongoing process. It begins when we get fed up. It takes a giant step forward when we own up to our sin. And it continues daily as we offer ourselves up daily as living sacrifices. And we say, God, I want to be whatever you want. And I want to look this morning, in time we have remaining, of four key tools or habits that God uses to transform us. Now remember, God does the heavy lifting. It's God's power. But God needs some tools. And he's given us some tools that we can use and he can use in our life to transform our minds, the way we think. And that's where it all begins, by the way we think. But it also, we're going to talk about some other things as well. But I want to talk about four basic tools that God can use through his power to transform the way you think. Number one is time in God's word. Jesus told his followers, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples and you'll know the truth. 
and the truth will set you free. Folks, the Indian Testament says truth is not just a proposition. Truth is not just an idea. Truth is a person. The more you know the word, the more you, you'll know about Jesus. God uses his word to change our minds so that we'll know the truth. Matter of fact, you'll never know the truth about anyone or any situation until you know what God says about him. In the, in the word, we know the truth about God. It teaches us the truth about our world. It shows us the truth about ourselves, which is one reason a lot of people don't like to read the Bible because they don't like what they see there about themselves. It tells the truth about our lives. It keeps us free from traps and the, and the lies of the enemy. I want to encourage you, and I've encouraged you many times before, to spend time in the Word of God. Whether it's reading the Bible through every year, or parking in one verse, or parking in one book for the whole year. But be in God's Word. As a matter of fact, more importantly than that, let God's Word get into you. Study it. That's why you ought to be a part of a Bible study group. Not just hear me teach it, but you need to be studying as well. That's why you need to be memorizing the word. In our D groups, we got 50 something people in D groups that are learning to memorize, hide God's word in their heart. It's, it's important to, to study and to listen to God's word. It's important to meditate on God's word. And most importantly, it's important to do God's word. It's not enough just to hear it and to know it. You got to do it. And if we want our minds transformed, if we want to become what God wants us to be, one of the tools that he uses with his power is the word of God to change our minds and to change our lives. Another tool that he uses is uh, prayer. Jesus said to his followers, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. You see how interconnected these tools are? Spending time in God's word strengthens our prayer life. Our mind is being changed from a self-centered mind to a God-centered mind. And and then God uses our prayers that come from this God-centered place in order to effect change in our lives, in our world, in our families. Isn't it true the more you talk with someone, the better you get to know them? The more we talk with God, the better we get to know him and his heart and his plans. And prayer changes our minds about our own abilities and plans. It is hard for a proud, arrogant, self-assured person to pray. I don't have time to pray. I'm too busy to pray. What you're saying is, I can handle this all by myself, God. Prayer says I can't. Prayer says I'm dependent on God. Prayer says I don't have the ability. Prayer says I'm not smart enough. Prayer says I'm not good enough. Prayer says, God, I'm not, but I know that you are. And it changes us. How can you learn to pray? Well, let me give you two simple ways. Number one is participate in Wednesday prayer meetings. We have one at 1130 and one at 630. And we provide two things in those prayer meetings. Number one, we provide a list of people and, and, and circumstances. Missionaries and lost people different that you can be praying for. And secondly, we provide a, a, a model example. You know how I learned to pray publicly? By going to Wednesday night prayer meeting and listening to other people pray publicly. That's how I learned to pray. And I remember when I was just a teenage kid sitting in the back in a small country church in North Alabama. And the deacons, you know, the same guys prayed. And one night God just, okay, it's your time, John. It's your time tonight. I want you to voice a prayer. My heart was pounding out of my chest. And I don't remember what I said, but I prayed publicly. And, and folks, I'll tell you something, I would have never learned to do that. I don't think if it hadn't been, been a part of a Wednesday prayer meeting where I heard people pray publicly. That's a great way to do it. Folks, listen to me. The best way to learn to pray is not by reading books about it. 
Not by going to preaching sermons about it, but it's to pray. And so you want to get yourself an environment where there's prayer going on. And Wednesday is a good time to do that. We have one at 11.30 and one at 6.30. And then another thing to do is get involved in our intercessory prayer room. It's so exciting to spend time every week in that prayer room where you learn to pray. And you're in there by yourself, so you can pray out loud if you want to. You can sing if you want to. There's a prayer notebook that is that thick, full of prayer things and teachings about prayer and prayer concerns and prayer requests. There, There's a board and, and stuff where we have answered prayer, which is one of the great motivators for prayer. And so I encourage you. Say yes to God and let him begin to work through you through those tools. Another thing, another habit that God uses is tithing. Jesus told his followers in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God uses tithing to change our minds about our possessions and priorities. It it becomes, it's no longer our stuff, it's God's stuff. Stewardship is about, we're just managers of God's possessions. I don't own anything. You don't own anything. You may think you do, but you don't. It's all God's. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. It changes our, our minds about our priorities. It, it comes, our tithe comes from the first part of the income, not the leftovers. It's saying to God, God, I trust you. My priority is you. You're the first thing. You're the first on my list that, that I want to make sure that, that I give to because I trust you, God, to take care of the rest of this stuff. It helps to, to us to understand God's ownership. It helps to draw us closer to God. It helps us. Oh, folks, listen to me. It helps us become contributors and not just consumers. This consumer mentality in the American church is just about to kill us. It's all about what the church can do for me. It's all about what I can get and I can get and I can get and I can get. Church is not Walmart, folks. The church is not a purveyor of religious goods and services. The church is a place to worship God. It's to give him our best. It is to serve him. It is to serve one another. It is to get roll up our sleeves and get busy. It helps us from becoming materialistic. It advances the gospel in the world. It advances the gospel in, in, in our nation. It advances the gospel in our city. There are two simple ways to get started tithing. Number one is figure your tithe out. The word tithe means a tenth. And so a tithe of your income is 10%. So take your monthly paycheck, multiply the total by 0.10, and the result is a tithe. And then secondly, sign up for tithing envelopes. If you don't get them, we send them, we send them every, you'll get one, you'll have one a week. And so you can take that tithe for your month, you can divide it up by four, and you can give a fourth every Sunday. I, I believe in doing that. And giving. And giving offerings above that. And then the last thing is fellowship. God told his followers, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, that's not a new commandment. That's, that's, the, that's as old as, as uh, the Bible almost. But here's, here's the new part of it. Just as I have loved you, you're also to love one another. It's not loving our neighbor as ourself anymore. It's loving others as Jesus has loved us. And he said, by this will all people know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Folks, the early church loved to hang out with one another. They met daily in the temple. They met in one another's homes. They met together regularly with God's people. And when we do that, it encourages us. It equips us. It challenges us. It protects us. It grows us. It identifies us. 
And there are two great ways to do that. I'm going to talk about one this morning. And in your bulletin, there is a card. Matter of fact, there's two cards. I want you to pull those out. And if you don't have one, if my ushers, if you guys are back there, if you don't have a card that looks like this that says, get connected, raise your hand. We want to make sure that you get them. Okay. Does everybody have one? There should be two in the bulletin. So if you got an extra one, give it to somebody that doesn't have one. Okay. We're all going to do this together. Okay. So take a card. Because one of the best ways I know for you to get in fellowship is to be involved in a small group Bible study. We call that Sunday school. Some people call them life groups. There's all kinds of names to them. But it's a great fellowship around the word of God. We're all going to fill these out together. So if you don't have one, raise your hand. Okay? Because if you don't get one, I'm going to come and talk to you personally. (laughs) Just kidding. Okay. So let's fill this out together. Everybody got one? Don't be bashful. Raise your hand. Okay. Because here's the deal. We've got several people in, in our worship service that are not involved in our Bible study. You can see from the attendance, we have, we have fewer in Bible study than we do in worship. And so I want everybody to be in, in Bible study as well as in worship. And so number one, your first and last name. If you're not sure, look at the person next to you and ask, what's my name again? So just print it. Please print it. Don't write in tongues. I don't have the gift of interpretation. Okay, then number two, are you a member of our church? Have you signed on the dotted line? Have you committed to, not just do you attend regular, but have you committed to membership? Either yes or no. Okay? Got that? Number three, your contact number. Some, some way that our, our Sunday school teacher can contact you in case we've got a question, in case we can't read your chicken scratch, okay? Uh, a contact number, either cell phone or home phone number. Give you a moment to do that. Everybody good? Number four is, what is your age or, or greater age group? And now if you're in school, we just need your age. So first grade, 12th grade, whatever. If you're above 18, just your age grouping. 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and beyond, okay? I know I'm taking a risk, but I didn't ask for specifics. Just a group, okay? So I'm giving you 10 eight. Okay, number five, what is the name of your Sunday school teacher? If you don't have one or you don't know, just leave that blank, okay? What's the name of your, who's, who's your Sunday school teacher? Then number six, okay, here's, here's the deal. Now listen to this. If you left number five blank, may we assign you to a group? Now before you say yes or no, I want you to understand what that means, okay? Here's what will happen. The group will pray for you regularly, maintain contact in order to be aware of any needs you have in other words how they can minister to you if you have a sickness or a death or you have an issue you just need some prayer about invite you to their fellowships that's that's the baptist word for party okay that's what that's what it is okay and invite you to bible study now we want you to attend bible study but listen this even if you cannot we want to be sure that you're prayed for ministered to and invited to fellowships okay Listen to me. We have, uh, every Sunday we have a deal. We used to call it a roll book. I've tried to help our people realize that it's not a roll book. It's a ministry book. And the way that we minister to people is what I've just said, but we have to have a name, address, and phone number in order to do that. And so whether or not you decide, I want to come every Sunday, we want you to be in a ministry book in a group so that that group can pray for you on a regular basis so they can invite you to come to their parties And so they can keep up with you and minister to you if you have a need, okay? And and we want you to be a part of Bible study. It's a great 
tool. We have Bible studies for all ages. We even have one that meets on Monday night at, at Clint Susan's house. If you can't meet during the week, or on Sunday morning, we have one that meets Monday nights, and it's just a wonderful opportunity. So, so okay, you would say, no, I don't want to be ministered to. I don't want to be prayed for. I don't want to be a, a part of the fun. Okay, that's what you say when you say no. No pressure. <laughs> Or you can say, yes, I want to be prayed for, I want to be ministered to, I want to be a part of the party. And yeah, I'll try to come to Sunday school every once in a while. Okay, so circle that, okay? Then I want you to take those cards and pass them toward the middle aisle. And I'm going to get the ushers, if you guys would come on down and, and just take up these cards, okay? Because what we're going to do is we're going to look at the cards, and then we're going to, I'm going to give those to Sunday school people. And you'll begin to call this week to be encouraged, okay? We're not going to pest you to death, but listen to me, folks. Let me just, when I was a baby, my mama fed me strange spinach. And as a baby, I thought that was the best stuff in the world. Today, it's, it tastes like turtle spit, but I used to think, I used to think it was good stuff. But then one day when I grew up, my mother introduced me to Chef Boyardee SpaghettiOs. Woo, now we're talking. I didn't want any strange spinach anymore. Chef Boyardee SpaghettiOs was where it's at. I tell you, it was a, it was a glory hallelujah day until the day I discovered Bluebell. Oh, mercy. When I discovered Bluebell, I discovered manna from heaven. Now folks, listen to me. What if I'd gone through life all my life thinking there's nothing more than strange spinach? If, if, if somebody knew there's a better way to live, wouldn't you want to know about it? I mean, I, I am so glad I discovered Chef Boyardee SpaghettiOs. I'm grateful that I discovered Bluebell ice cream. I'm grateful I didn't have to go through life thinking all there is to life is strained spinach. Folks, listen to me. There are some of you that have gone through your whole life thinking, eating nothing but the world and the devil's strained spinach. And you just think that's all there is. That life is, this is the way life is. It's just the way it is. Folks, I want to tell you something. It's not. It's not. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Jesus says, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And there's SpaghettiOs. There's Bluebell. There's all kind of wonderful things out here for you to experience that I've got for you. But first you have to get fed up. You got to get fed up with strained spinach. I don't know if I can. Sure you can. Taste and see, the Bible says, that the Lord is good. You've got to own up. You've got to own up to the fact that where you are is where you want to be. And your sin has separated you. And then finally, you just have to offer up. Offer up your life to him. Whether you're a believer and you've drifted, you've got to come back. You offer up your life and say, Lord, here I am again. I sign a check at the bottom, a blank check, and I leave you to fill it in. Some of you need to do that today as believers because you've drifted. You've drifted into, into uh, I don't know, mediocrity. You've drifted in apathy. You've drifted to a place, and it's just not a good place. But honestly, some of you have never gotten close to God. You know about him. You've read about him. But you've never gotten close. Because honestly, you've never come to a place of desperation. And I want to encourage you. 
Simply say yes to the Lord before it's too late. Because I believe God will get your attention at some point. Maybe he's trying to get your attention already. Maybe through some health issues or maybe through some financial issues or whatever. And he's, he's trying because he loves you. And he wants you to know who he is. The Bible says God has a wonderful plan. God created this heaven and the earth. And he looked at it and said, it is good. But you look at it today and you say, well, it's not very good. What happened? Well, what happened is our sin. We chose to go our own way. We chose to disobey God. We chose to, to look at our way and, and go our way instead of God's way. And the Bible says that's sin. The Bible says that's what separated us from God. The Bible says that's the problem with the world. That's the problem with our life. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And death is a separation. It's a separation from God. It's a separation from everything that's good. And you see, you, you might say, well, pastor, you know, my life is, is good. I've, I'm living the good life. Well, let me just let you know something. Being good isn't good enough. Because if it were, Jesus would have never had to die for you on the cross. See, God did for us through Christ what we could never do for ourselves. You see, the world says salvation and joy is spelled D-O. It's something you got to do. You got to work hard. You got to be hard. You got to be religious. You got to keep this rule. You got to not, not keep those rules. Christianity says this. The way to God, the way to salvation is spelled D-O-N-E. It is what God has done for us in Christ. God has provided the forgiveness. He has provided all the power we need. He raised his son Jesus from the dead. We are to provide the choice. The choice to believe. To repent. To quit trusting in ourselves and the world. And turn to the Lord. And believe in him. And believe in his death. Believe in his resurrection. And we provide the choice to, to obey you say, Pastor, I can't do that. I know you can. That's what the gospel's about. You can't, but God can. God works in you to give you what? The will. In other words, the want to. And also the power to continue to work. He, the will and the work. God will do it. You just have to believe. You just have to choose to obey. Is it an easy road? No, it's challenging. It's tough. Will you fall? Sure you'll fall. But God is there to help you. He's promised I will never leave you, never forsake you. He will enable us. It is I, it is, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me in the life I now live. I live by, the, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so today some of you need to get close to God, personally. Let me pray with us, every head bowed and every eye closed. Some of you today need to give your heart and life to Christ. You need just for the very first time to say yes. Some of you need to be baptized. Some of you need to become members of this church. Others of you are believers. You just need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I've drifted and I'm tired and I want to come home. And Father, I pray.